This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Avoiding the Crowd podcast. I am your producer for the show, Robert Kraft from SNN Podcast Network, and your host, Maj Sway Don. We got a packed crowd here today because we got a really cool episode for everybody. Uh, it's going to be the first in a, in a series that we're going to do on here um, called the Portfolio Protection Series. So uh, don't worry, you're not going to be hearing much from me this episode. This is going to be Maj and his crew here. So with that, Maj. Take it away, my friend. Thank you, Bobby. Really excited to do this. This is something we've talked about for some time. Um, and the purpose of this whole series is to uh, not really say, this isn't about shorting this, or you know, calling companies fraud. You know, this, is, this is more about educating um, investors about certain aspects of companies that they might want to uh, understand more clearly before um, they either want to go, maybe go short or long. You know, we're trying to call out the bullish and, and bearish kind of theses in some of these companies we'll be looking at. And um, I think that'll be really cool. Uh, the company today, none of us here has any position in the stock. We're not short or long the stock. Um, and so I'm really excited to get this going. And I have a, a really nice crew here, um, kind of a diverse crew. Uh, Michael Woloski, Jan Savenda, uh, is it Tyler DuPont? Yep. Yeah, so we got, definitely got a packed house here today, and some uh, three investors I really um, respect, and some, and not only as investors but as their as their work as analysts. So um, why don't we get into it right now? We'll talk about how I met them later. Um, so uh, Michael, why don't you talk about um, yourself and how your background and what you're doing. Sure. Um, so my name is Michael Woloski. I have a background in economics and finance, and uh, you know, uh, the first time I met Maj was about six months ago. We, um, what's funny is that like purple came up in our very first conversation. Oh, actually more than that. It was almost uh, a year ago. It was like, it came up in our first conversation and um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, in addition to doing, you know, stock analysis research, I also do some work with uh, fixed income. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks a lot, Maj. Yeah. Jan? Uh, great. Well, thanks uh, for the invite as well. And um, yeah, I'm coming from a background of like OTC obscure stuff uh, through which I got to a more kind of fundamental research into uh, short selling. Um, so now I could kind of say that I do long OTC and short, you know, the three Fs as Marco Hodes uh, uh, likes to say. But um, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the background of uh, just deep OTC kind of gave me a way of researching things a bit differently and uh, trying to really understand 
the details and try to really dig up the original information because that's what you have to do in the OTC. So that's kind of how I got to short selling. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to um, kind of start the portfolio protection um, with, uh, with Maj and uh, Mike, uh, just uh, because I think it makes a lot of sense in the current market. And uh, as you will see the company that we're going to be discussing today, I think it's just a great showcase of how the current market works and why some investors should be aware of what are they actually holding. So that's about it for me. Tyler? Yep. So I, um, I've been following Maj, Maj's work for a long time now, probably, I mean, I want to say eight years or so. And funny enough, this is the first time I'm meeting uh, Jan, but I had been following a lot of his OTC work, um, you know, over the years, just by kind of running into, you know, my eyes are on the same companies that he had already, you know, kind of covered. So really awesome to meet him here on this podcast and really cool that you kind of set this up, brought us all together. Um, mostly for me, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of short selling. Uh, I, you know, obviously in buying companies uh, as well, really trying to find value. Uh, but Primarily, a lot of my positions are rotating around short ideas, uh, mostly NASDAQs. I'm not shorting any OTC stocks or anything like that. Um, and I really don't have many OTCs in my portfolio. So mostly, you know, trading NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange stocks, but, you know, in the micro cap, small cap uh, kind of universe. Yeah, what's, what's pretty cool about all of us here is that we're not just, either, you know, looking at short stocks or, or just go along. We want to look at investing from, you know, different spheres and it's really cool. I think you know, myself, I'm a bullish investor by heart. So, um, but I'm also willing to look at suspicious companies and that's part of what we did at geo for a long time. And, you know, I think a lot of you, um, Tyler, Michael, Jan, you, you still have, you're not closed minded enough to, to say, Hey, no, we're not going to look at longs too. So I, I think that's really a cool perspective that we're all coming from. So we don't become blind investors. So that, so that leads us into what we're talking about today and um, really about our portfolio protection series. And the purpose of that really is to look at, uh, look at stories and stocks from the bullish and bearish point of view um, to really help investors understand what they're investing in. And primarily look, I mean, even though we are looking from the bullish point of view too, we're really trying to find some unique risks that might really impact um, either um, the integrity of the company you're investing in with management. Um, maybe there is fraud sometimes, or just, you know, just shareholder activism in terms of our companies maximizing shareholder value correctly. Um, so it just depends. And that brings us to our, the current topic, which is PRPL, uh, Purple Innovations. That's a, that's a topic of, this, um, of the podcast today. And this is a very interesting one because I, I came across Purple maybe a year ago, I, I, I looked at uh, Purple. This is great. This is going to be a millennial stock. It's going to go up just because the name, Purple. <laughs> you know? And uh, I didn't know what they did. And I, I think, of course, look at it. Oh, it's the, it's, it's the mattress company. And I'm familiar with them through their really funny and comical commercials with, the, with Sasquatch jumping on beds. And you, you might know the, the commercial on the company through that um, framework, spring of mind. So, uh, Looking into it, I said, oh, this, this stock, I think, was like four or five bucks when I came across it. It was uh, hitting a new high. The company came public uh, through a SPAC transaction. Uh, and that was, I believe, in two, February 2018. And um, 
And you know, the stock hadn't done much uh, since it came public and through that transaction, they were, they were losing money. Um, they had some revenue, they had a good decent revenue though. And I, I was looking at it first through the bullish lens because I had just turned profitable after um, not making money for, um, for some time. And then I started noticing some, you know, interesting things in the filings. I think it was their 10K at the time, uh, comparing it to, to their going public prospectus and noticing some inconsistencies in some of the commentary and then just finding some more red flags. And it, it, it became, hey, well, I don't want to really go along this thing, but I, want, I do want to understand more about what is going on here, what the risks are in the company, maybe from a short point of view. And luckily I didn't short it because the stock is now is like 24, 25 bucks. Um, and I think what you'll find out that we all have concluded together that this is a really a, more of a not short or go long situation. It's more of a um, corporate governance situation with this company. And, you know, it's going to end up being, we have a lot of questions for management. Um, hopefully they can answer them at some point. Um, but we think you'll, we'll learn a lot from this podcast and really learn about how you just dig into filings and you can find some interesting things in filings that you wouldn't, you sometimes wouldn't believe how companies can go public with some of the, the way they've structured their um, corporate governance and ways of, um, and just in general, the business. So what's, I'm going to, now I'm going to lay it off to um, Michael first and Jan, you can jump in anytime you want, what you guys can have a conversation because you worked on this together. But that, this was Michael's first project we had him work on. And, um, and Michael, why don't you give a little background on um, how you got involved with the, this uh, purple and what, how, how we uh, started getting involved in it. Yeah, uh, thanks, Maj. Um, so like I said, about, about a year ago, first time we met, we had a conversation about purple and um, just started looking at it as far as, you know, I think what were the big red flags at that point in time were the, uh, you know, just like you said, we started going through the filings, the Pierce brothers who are the founders and uh, also on the board of directors for Purple, I think uh, Tony and Terry Pierce, um, they had been selling their shares, I think starting in October, 2018 and, or no, 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 that can't be right. October 2019, and they they had, uh, you know, from their initial SPAC going public, they they carried a lot of the the total um, the total shares for the company, and they just started like dumping them off. And I think later again in maybe uh, February March timeframe 2020, they laid off uh, some more, and. Um, I mean, those are kind of some red flags that I look at, you know, if, if this is the founders of the company and uh, also on the board of directors and they start dumping shares, I mean, and huge quantities of shares. Uh, to me, that was a red flag. And, and after that, you know, started going over. Um, the next really critical thing that we found was this, um, this license back agreement um, in their filings. Um, which basically gave the Pierce brothers all, through the, another company they own, which is Edizone. Uh, Edizone is wholly owned, wholly controlled by the Pierce brothers. Um, in their, when they, when they initially went public, they, they entered into this license back agreement with Edizone that is purple and 
entered into a license back agreement with Edison, which basically at that time gave Edison and the Pierce brothers almost complete control of Purple's intellectual property. Um, they licensed back, uh, basically they, although uh, the Pierce brothers gave ownership of the intellectual property to Purple, they Purple licensed it back to Edison and the Pierce brothers for free forever, uh, irrevocably, without need for future any kind of compensation. Um, and that's, that's really bizarre, you know, for a company that, that whose sole claim is like the, how great their product is and uh, how unique it is. And yet at the end of the day, they basically gave away that intellectual property to their founders who can basically do with it whatever they want at that time. I, I think some, ch some things have changed. They've tried to technically kind of bring that intellectual property back under Purple's control. Uh, but so, it's unclear. So, so, Mike, so um, let's go back to Eddie's own for one second. So why don't you talk about who Eddie's own is and um, how that plays into, a little more how that plays into the picture here. Sure. So Eddie's own has been around, man, I want to say uh, maybe 15 or 20 years, uh, maybe more. It, it was one, like the, the Pierce brothers are, um, have historic, like they've, they've, founded dozens of companies. Um, this is probably one of their longest standing ones is Edison. And it's basically like a research um, firm. Their sole purpose primarily is the, the creation, the design, um, research for, I don't know how you want to say it. They call it like elastic polymers or gels, or squishy things, cushions, anything related to, you know, rubbery type uh, materials. Um, some of which they license to like Dr. Scholl's, the implant, you know, shoe implant makers. Um, they license it previously to uh, other cushion manufacturers, um, manufacturers of various different like bedding products. And that's been like uh, an ongoing thing. And, and upon like uh, when, they, when they founded Purple, it was like they, they were using that intellectual property. They were, um, but it was still owned by Edison and the Pierce brothers. When they were going through the SPAC process, obviously they realized like, hey, we like Purple, we're going to be a publicly traded company we should actually own the intellectual property that makes us unique. And so it was actually after they went public that they like issued this, uh, this license back agreement or they, they made it public because allegedly they had, they had the license back agreement before, but they just didn't make it public uh, prior to going or like they didn't release it prior to going public. So, so was there, was everything disclosed? The thing, everything you talked about right now, was all this disclosed in the original going public prospectus? Do you recall, or was it? Did some of it come out later? I think I would. I, I I would be fair. I think it's fair to say that the magnitude of it was not disclosed in the initial filings, as in the magnitude of the patents that Edison licensed back 
or they licensed back from Edizone or the trade names that Edizone and the Pierce brothers uh, maintained control over, all of which um, from the best that I can understand and from our research that the Pierce brothers and Edizone are still profiting off of and Purple isn't. Great, yeah. So, uh, uh, Jan, you got anything you want to add here before we move on to a little more? Um, yeah, sure, sure. I think um, um, just for the last point, I think, uh, you know, the, the main thing is that it was a bit too hard and who controls what uh, from the filings. And I think that, you know, that should never be the case. I mean, if you are going to invest in a company, you kind of, you should have a clear view of what's going on. And this probably you know, was there, you know, the, the legalese was kind of heavy on this case. So I think that was uh, the point regarding, uh, you know, disclosure about all of this. Um, but yeah, I think for me, Purple, when we start talking about it, um, uh, yeah, around March, I think what struck me as uh, curious was the structure of the company, because I knew the structure uh, before, uh, because I covered some of the companies um, that had very similar uh, holding structure. And how it went public because this uh, the purple went through uh, public through an upsea structure, which is uh, a structure that, for example, WeWork wanted to go through, but was kind of like it was highlighted as a big risk um, for the investors. And so basically, what it means that the founders, the Pierce brothers, didn't really let go of the economic interest in the company. So it was kind of like a convoluted structure from the beginning. And when I saw that, I already knew that you know probably they're trying to just you know, lay off something to the public um, uh, so that they can profit from it uh, in, um, in a, let's say, unusual way. Because, of course, in the old IPO system, I mean, you just, you know, release new shares, public pays for it. End of the story. But with the upsea structure, what happens is that you really are going to pay the founders for the, for the stake. And you're not going to you're not going to get like a new, uh, you know, new bunch of shares, but they're just going to sell their uh, so they're staking the, uh, the business. So it's a kind of um, a sharing agreement, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that when I saw that, I was I already knew like, okay, that's something like relatively fishy because there was, for example, Spark Energy, which I covered uh, in depth in 2017, and they had the same structure and it ended up pretty badly for them. So it kind of showcased that the corporate governments might not be that uh, that great. So for me, that was kind of the red flag that I noticed when I when I started to look into it. And then, of course, the license, license back agreement. I mean, it's just insane. It boils down to, you know, simple things. Uh, you know, the, the company owns the, the, you know, IP, but doesn't get any royalties from it, right? So that, that's, just, uh, that's just the bottom line. And the Pierce brothers get the royalties. And, um, you know, recently um, when we were writing the update for the report, um, you know, I noticed that, of course, uh, they... Um, the Pierce brothers uh, departed the company, so they're not necessarily super involved right now. Uh, and um, when they did that, uh, the company basically um, purchased some of the IP, IP back, so to speak, from Edison because um, uh, the IP was uh, used by competitors of Purple, right? And so for a long time, actually, Purple as a public company uh, did not get any sort of royalties from um, their own IP. IP assets that were used by competitors, which is pretty, uh, yeah, which is pretty interesting. So the Pierce brothers were basically getting, um, uh, getting all the all the benefits, while Purple had to actually, you know, create such great marketing to be able to sell more, while uh, they could have just, you know, gathered royalties. Um, and so what happened was that when the Pierce brothers kind of departed the board, they had to, uh, they uh, the company actually got back 
control of some of its IP that was uh, controlled by the competitor, and they paid 8.6 million for it, a purple, right? They paid, um, it is only 8.6 million, which just means, which just means like, okay, with the Pierce brothers, we're like, okay, well, maybe, you know, we need to give them back the control, but, you know, at least we're going to get something from it. While, of course, Pierce brothers also made like 250 million selling the shares of, um, of, of, of their stake in purple. So, yeah. A lot of interesting stuff, I think, regarding the corporate governments, which, you know, it, as a, as Mosh said, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is a clear short or, or a clear long, but it, it's just something that people should know, because I think at the bottom, uh, it, it's, it's about people, right? I mean, uh, markets are, are about people and you should scrutinize how people behave and whether, you know, the current management of Purple was okay with this and they signed agreement, they signed a license agreement and so on and so forth, which they knew that Pierce Brothers would, you know, disproportionately benefit from it. it you know, maybe, uh, maybe that's something to, to, uh, to look into and to keep in mind for sure. So I think that's just for me. So, so basically you had, a, so what, in, a, in a situation that would have been more beneficial to shareholders, would have been a situation where when, when, this, when they went public through, uh, went public through a SPAC, everything would have been rolled up into the public company, right? Yeah, exactly right. I think that would be, I mean, normal process would be yeah, without, um, without the convoluted upsea structure. So, uh, you know, because that structure really benefits the insiders. I mean, the whole point, if you just, you know, Google WeWork upsea structure, you will get a, quite a more detailed analysis than on purple because not many people wrote about purple and the structure. But basically, if you look at WeWork, the whole point was that the insiders wanted to take advantage of techs, um, um, tech setup, the structure is usually uh, used for tax advantages and so on and so forth. So basically, you know, um, yeah, you know, if you if you didn't do that, you would just have a normal, let's say, normal spec transaction. Uh, you would you would get a sign, you you would get control of the IP, you would get the royalties. And the whole point is, we don't really know how much of the royalties they missed, which you know is a we could be a large portion of their net income because royalties are of course 100% margin, right? So the company was struggling to produce net income, but um, but if they had, if they had the royalties, I mean they could easily perhaps even uh, start profiting from the very beginning. Yeah. So now this 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 new information, the AK that you came across here, does it does it obviously you know so um, purple paid. Basically, the Pierce Brothers through Eddie's own eight point six million dollars. Was he say? Was that what it was, Jan? To get control, get some of these patents. But does that also affect the licensing rights too? So does Eddie's own still retain the rights it had to be able to license the technology that Purple might be using? Or they didn't. They didn't really publish the whole agreement between those uh, two parties. But uh, in my understanding of the eight K, it just should say that Purple has the control now and will start receiving royalties from the usage of this IP with the specific competitor, but it was kind of like not very clear whether what's the extent of the whole agreement because it was not made public. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that they had to pay for it is just uh, on its own enough. But uh, yeah, there might be some uh, further analysis that you could do from that uh, and deduce maybe some sort of like also idea what kind of lost royalties they had and so on and so forth. So the question, you know, an interesting question to mention will be, well, you know, what else is Eddie's own? benefiting from that purple might not be benefiting from still right now so this so this particular um new information was based upon when you say competitor you mean a competitor of purple see so are you talking so or are you talking about eddie's own being so being the competitor here 
No, 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 no. Edison is not a competitor to Purple. Edison just owns the IP, but the IP was uh, licensed to competitors of Purple. And in, at some points, uh, you know, it was also uh, actually the IP was restricting Purple from coming into some markets, which again, not very clear what's the extent of the whole thing, but some of the IP or the licenses was actually, you know, exclusive for uh, countries um, in Europe, I believe, and Japan. I'm not sure, Mike, uh, if I... Uh, if you remember all the, the well, countries, for for sure, at least in Europe, uh, they, they 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 state that outright in their filings that they are prevented from entering some markets in Europe. However, it seems to me that those same, from what I can tell, they have very similar agreements with um, a manufacturer in Japan and in Australia. However, they don't explicitly say in their filings that they're unable to enter those markets. So for sure, all we know from their filings, they cannot enter parts of Europe. Um, but you did extrapolate somewhat from the language, I think, in the report we'll be publishing, um, that you might be able to deduce that they're, from the way they describe um, these um, parties, that they, they might be have issues competing in those other markets, right, outside Europe, Japan, like you said. And, what do I, I personally think that's the case. However, like if I was like testifying in a court of law, I would have to say, I don't know because the, the, I think the pattern that we see here is very uh, opaque. Like they're, they're intentionally vague with everything that they say. Um, And I think if I, as an investor, that just makes me concerned. Right. I just, just tell me what just tell me what you mean like that's when i read their filings that's what i want to say because it's 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 so unclear what they're getting at um even with the license back agreement and all these things like it the license back agreement itself that gave Edizone all those rights to their ip it's changed so many times the 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 part that 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 jan brings up now is is just the most recent change but like initially um the board, like initially Edison could license it to whoever they wanted, any of the intellectual property, as long as they got the, the permission from the board of directors of Purple. Then that changed to say uh, a few months later, maybe a year later, that um, they are not, that Edison is no longer seeking new contracts or to extend contracts. Um, you know, and then now like they're buying back the intellectual property, but we don't know what intellectual property, we don't know for who they're licensing it to. Um, it's all this, this uh, you know, lack of clarity. Uh, and even the fact that at the time, the board of directors consisted of at least three members, uh, you know, when they initially went public to say, hey, you can continue at his own con- license to whoever they want, as long as they get board approval. At that time, three members of the board, voting members of the board, that is Tony Pierce, Terry Pierce, and Casey McGarvey, um, all received benefits as in compensation from Edizone for those licenses. Yeah, not to mention that also, you know, like at uh, in the beginning, uh, the voting voting rights were also residing at Pierce Brothers just because of the structure of the, uh, the corporation. So basically, I mean, they could do whatever they want, right? Um, but public got like a nice sweetheart deal of like just buying some equity without real, you know, um, thing like Snapchat, you know, just, just uh, the usual thing uh, that happens nowadays. But yeah, so um, I mean, that's kind of uh, that's kind of how, how it went. Uh, it was certainly, I think, uh, you know, conflicts of interest for sure in, in, in some ways uh, when considering the public shareholding.
So, you know, you, earlier you said that Eddie Zone wasn't a competitor, but really when you look at the struggling, maybe it's not, you know, on the, on the terms of competitor, it's competitor, but it really is because they're, they're, they're basically selling some of this intellectual property through licensing arrangements or uh, to competitors of Purple, right? And until now, or at least we maybe even still now, collecting a substantial amount of royalty revenues, you know, royalty uh, fees from these competitors, right? Which is not going to, um, and helping them grow in potential markets that even Purple can't get into. And a lot of it, you know, this is a very competitive market space, this, this matters company, whatever you, this industry, you know, you have uh, several competitors, you got Casper and you have Love, right? And you have um, um, several other ones here. I think you have, um, we, um, we got Temper Sealy, we have, um, we have uh, Sleep Number Corp. These are all public companies. That's SNBR, TPX, LOVE. Uh, we have, um, and then Purple, right? And Gatton and Casper, CSPR. So, and this is all, I mean, I think this, this is all about spending money, you know, getting out there and marketing dollars to keep getting, you know, getting market share. And, and Purple is doing a pretty good job of that. I mean, they're definitely getting market share and they're actually profitable now. A lot of companies are not profitable in this industry. But at some point, you know, they maintain premium multiple, which I think Purple has over some of its competitors. Um, you need to be able to get that, you know, market share. And if you're limited to what you can get, that should maybe if eventually it's going to affect your ability to grow and maybe your market, your multiple. So I think it is, comp- you know, competition now. What I'm still, what we definitely got to figure out here is what does this new agreement mean for Purple now? You know, have they short, now the Pierce Bros did a great, hey, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever they did, they did, they did what was really good for them, right? They came out, they, they went public this back, stock goes from, you know, eventually here up to $24. They sell all this, they, they, how they sell all their stock on? Are they all, are they all out? Yeah, according to my understanding, they did they they transferred they converted all the stocks. So from because there were two classes of uh, of uh, stocks, and they they converted. And to my understanding, the la- latest offering that they did, they should have sold everything. Yeah. Yes, they sold all their cash in there, and then you know received more money through selling that that eight point six million dollar transaction. So it was it was it was a beautiful thing for them, beautiful exit. And um, so uh, the the question now though, you know, is not how, how does it look for current shareholders now? We put all that aside. That all, that all happened now, right? And they possibly maximize, you know, had a way of maximizing you know, their take from this. Looking at it now, if, if Purple now retains all the rights to the royalty fees that once belonged to Zone, that'd be interesting, right? I mean, that, is there a bullish case there? Uh, I mean, uh, for me, I think uh, there there kind of could be, but I mean, as you said, it's a tough competitive market. I mean, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the bulls like to point out that you know this is a intellectual property driven investment, which is you know hilarious. While they didn't really actually get the benefit of the IP, um, of course, they can sell it and so on and so forth. But still, uh, they sell the product, but. Um, um, I mean, yeah, there there could be there could be a way of like them growing a lot more. They announced they, they announced uh, announce new manufacturing capacity, so they have these kind of max 
um, things that they like to talk about, which is just um, uh, a production process of like increasing margins and so on and so forth at some sort of capacity. So they are now very bullish and like the whole, you know, uh, transcript for Q2 was uh, was relatively bullish because they had a lot of orders and so on and so forth and they had another record a quarter. So um, I think that, yeah, like for, for now, certainly the revenue can uh, can continue, but there's just the question of, you know, how they're going to deal with the IP situation going forward. And um, certainly, you know, the new uh, 8K uh, can bring them a bit of benefit, but there is still other IP that I think at his own can, um, can benefit from. So it's not really, uh, according to the AK, it was specifically to one competitor. So I think that uh, there might be some still leftover uh, uh, things that, you know, the purple then might have trouble with or, you know, um, overcome the problem problems, but just, you know, um, that, that should not be the case for, for the company. So there might be bullish case for sure. Of course, the revenue has been growing like crazy, but um, there could always be these challenges uh, in the late stages. I'm sure I stand correct a little bit. So, I mean, I said bullish, you know, you know what? They're, they found a way maybe to get some royalty revenue from this large competitor but we don't know if it still restricts Purple from competing in some of these markets. That could still remain, right? The, 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 we don't know that yet. That, so. that's, that's what I was about to say um, is because, okay, great. They got the intellectual property. Now what? They still, they still have to like, they still have these contracts in place. Even if they own the intellectual property, we don't know the terms of these contracts. These contracts that they have with that prevent them from entering Europe, possibly Japan and possibly Australia, they could be for 10 or 20 more years. So then what? Um, you know, what's funny is that even going back to their very first prospectus, Purple had beat, beat the drum of inter international growth. And to the, uh, as best as I can tell, the, the only international expansion that they have is very, very little into Canada. That's it. Um, you know, they, and, and they're not even a lot for whatever reason, they don't sell all of their mattresses. They're limited into the, the, the types of mattresses they sell there. So could that be part of this intellectual property limitation of them entering that market? I, I don't know, but to me, it's interesting because if, if you're living in Canada and you want to buy a purple mattress, you can't buy, it's not like in the United States where you have, uh, you know, they have various varieties, various type sizes. No, it's, it's limited. You get what you get. Um, and I think it's personally because uh, not with uh, some of the, the competitors that keep them from uh, Europe, but there's another competitor. Um, it's called Intellibed. It was one of their first, what's funny, this is one of the, the Pierce brothers' first ventures is that they, uh, they actually started by um, selling Intellibed. Uh, it, they licensed that, the, that intellectual property from Edison to Intellibed and then basically like broke their contract. It was supposed to be an exclusive contract with Intellibed uh, to, to, to sell this grid, the same grid type mattress and the process to make it. But then they started making their own bed with the exact same technology. Uh, they got sued by Intellibed. Uh, Intellibed won. They, they got a cease and desist order and they basically, Intellibed has the rights to, to manufacture and continue to use that process um, and license it, the, those revenue, license that 
intellectual property, those patents back to Edizone. Um, and so I think it has to do with that, uh, with that aspect of it, that this IntelliBed has the rights to a certain type of proprietary technology and a lot of Purple's mattresses are too similar and then they therefore cannot enter Canada to the full extent. That's, that's a good observation. I'm glad we're talking this out because now that I think about more about this, so one of the things that we do a lot as we look from, from, you know, t- t- uh, changes in filings over time, you know, we're looking at the risk factors, just all this discussion in general and see if we can find inconsistency or, or new pieces of information. And one of the things we did find in the, uh, in one of the filings um, was that all of a sudden this disclosure popped up regarding facing competition from a, from a large competitor. Uh, did they say it was in the U.S., Mike, or did they say Europe? Did they say where that competition was coming from? They they didn't. Um, it's from the United States. Like I said, they they don't really have uh, an international footprint, a real one. I mean, they have. Like I said, they they sell in Canada. They may sell some other places, but uh, as far as percentage of revenue, only in Canada. So it's it's a it's a U.S. Uh, issue. So interesting. So I'm wondering, um, Jan, if this so this. Um, AK might be referring to that, have to do, have to do that competitor, you think? Because yeah, I think. I think I, what they said was that in the, in, the, in the filing, what one of the companies, the larger com- competitors that they license their technology to, or I don't know if it was Eddie's own or Purple, um, is gaining, you know, is, is growing quickly and gaining market share pretty rapidly. They then use the word market share. So that may be the case. And if that's the case, maybe it's just we're talking about these, this. 8K is referring to that, but what's interesting from that to, to maybe extrapolate is that, wait a second, maybe Purple starting to see this, starting to get a little scared here, that it's getting, this comp- competitor is getting big enough where it makes sense to take some of that royalty fee. And what we really under, need to understand what maybe, what that's all about and how the company has to really come, come clean with that, I think, a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's interesting since the Pierce brothers have left the business kind of, then um, it really becomes its own. And uh, now it's the question you know, of calculation, whether the investment for getting the IP, because they paid uh, 8.4 to be completely precise, not 8.6, but it doesn't really matter. It's still $8 million for what they basically own. And so, uh, well, if you approach it in a, you know, arm's length transaction, then of course that would be just calculation of uh, your internal rate of of return, right? So it's like whether it makes sense to pay 8.4 to get royalties, which probably, you know, 8.4 million is not really the smallest portion of the, of the, of the royalties. So I guess they are expecting that they are going to get some money back um, eventually. I don't know why they, uh, why else would they do that? Because um, I mean, it's not for cosmetics. I mean, if, Unfortunately, a lot of bullish shareholders did not really point out these licensing back agreements. I mean, nobody really talked about it. Um, they all talked about IP of Purple, but nobody really talked about the agreement. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, there is some certain intent, uh, of course, uh, in it. And also, it's noteworthy to say that the 8K came just one day before the Pierce brothers uh, announced uh, that they were going to leave the company. So, um, so I think it was just, yeah, for sure, they had to had some calculation or I mean, at least, well, that's the idea of fiduciary duty, right? Um, so, yeah. Also uh, in that 8K that, that came out in August, it does, it does reference the gel matrix and IntelliPillow. So IntelliPillow is like 
the pillow version of the IntelliBed product. So I would venture to say that this is related to that competitor. Um, if you notice that gel matrix and IntelliPillow directly reference the, the technology they licensed to IntelliBed. And to be fair, by the way, you like the pillow, right? You have the pillow. Um, well, I don't have the Intella pillow, but I, I, you know, what's funny is like, we've been working on this a long time. My sister uh, and her husband got a, uh, you know, they got a purple something and they loved it. And they're like, you got to try this pillow. I'm like, and they bought it for me. And, and it's honestly great. Like, I don't have a, I don't have the mattress, but the pillow is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so the products are good. Like, I don't think anybody here is, is, our issue is not the products. You know, everything that we brought up is the corporate governance issues, you know, they, but you can have the greatest products in the world and, and management drive that company into the ground. I'm it's wondering a great if pillow. I wonder if early on the Pierce brothers, maybe when they set Eddie's own up and the way they um, envisioned things, maybe they didn't make enough money to be getting from the royalty arrangements, and that's why they decided to make you know launch a purple brand. Um, that's one thing I was thinking about. I don't know. Well, you saw, it could be. Um, I mean. Just one one quick thing there. I mean, um, uh, Purple did actually pay Edison royalties at the very beginning. It was not public yet, but uh, it was a private company, and Purple did pay about like uh, I think six million or something like that um, in in uh, royalties to Edison actually. So back when Edison still owned the um, the the properties uh, the IP uh, the IP yeah so basically yeah four four million in 2016 to Edison so um, there is also a kind of like a scale where you can actually kind of make a proportion out of it like what kind of royalties they might be missing on as well uh, but yeah might be might be what you say I think I think there's a calculation in the report that we have in terms of how much royalties we think might be there. Yeah, there there is an estimate, but it's just wild estimate. I mean, it's really uh, it's tough to say what could be the royalties uh, right now. And uh, yeah, okay, we have a new piece of information, or let's say, relatively new since it's middle of August, the AK. But um, yeah, I mean, it's eight point four million for something, and we're gonna see what kind of stream of royalties that is. And so maybe we can uh, estimate some some of the losses that uh, Purple, um, or not losses, but the revenue that just should have been theirs, but. Uh, is, so uh, assuming yeah. that there's still some issues with um, the ability of Purple to compete in some markets, do you think there's room for an activist to get involved here at some point to try and, um, um, you know, maybe improve the structure of, you know, what Purple owns and maybe wrapping any zone more into the company? Or is that a lost cause? Mm, I think, uh, I personally think that that's probably unlikely. I don't... I don't really know who exactly owns how much of Purple right now, just because they uh, they're doing they did the um, uh, the share offering recently and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, I, I think you know if like wrapping per Edison into it, they would have to pay Pierce Brothers, and I guess they they seem to be like in it for for the money. I don't think they were just going to get right. it for free. So um, yeah, of course, I guess it's possible, but the price probably and especially in the early growth stages, let's call it this you know, because the revenue has been booming now, I think uh, a lot of people see a lot of opportunity. And as we discussed, I mean, you know, uh, it's a great product. Um, and also, um, 
compared to Casper, for example, you know, it's, it's doing really well. And Casper has some, I mean, Casper, you know, they don't really, I, I think, uh, they don't really manufacture it, everything. They outsource some some part of it. And so Purple is not really doing that. So they, they, they are trying to, you know, do their own. And, um, and they do have the IP. So basically it's, um, um, uh, it's a, bit, uh, a bit different. But, um, yeah. And Cash is losing a lot of money. I think, let me see. Look, they're just losing. The yeah, I think they are. They are. Yeah, they're yeah. losing a lot of money. I mean, yeah, like Purple has been cash flow positive, you know, in the past two quarters or so and they can pay you know they they extended their credit facility and so on and so forth so i mean the the business is just set you know for growth and so in the early stage they're in the early stages so that's why of course you know bulls will say well you know we lost money okay fair enough well who, who cares but um we, we we can make money in the future but you never know there might be some restrictions some problems and and again you have the management that was okay all, with all of this which you know just shouldn't be the case because I mean if you're the steward of the of the capital of shareholders and you're okay like yeah why not we will um, you know make money for Pierce Brothers um, uh, so that's that's the whole point of it yeah okay great great and, I, and if you, so if you're looking at the by the way just we haven't talked about the um, size of these companies so you have um, Purple is forecasted to do I think 635 million revenue in 2020 got, I think Casper around 500 million. Um, and you got uh, Love, L-O-V-E, Love Sack, about 300 million. Uh, Sleep Number, about 2.1 billion. And Temper Sealy International, about 3.5 billion. So, um, and most of these guys are losing money. Uh, Temper Sealy is making money, actually, and uh, now Purple is making money, too. So, um, so Mike, you want to go over the valuation here real quick and some of the information you have there? Before we end this, sure. Uh, so, I mean, um, so basically, what I just did was a you know a price per share, price to to sales multiple valuation. Uh, as Mach just said, uh, quite a few of their competitors uh, aren't profitable. So, like to do another type of multiple, um, like free cash flow or. Uh, uh, price to EBITDA or, or anything. It just doesn't, it, it becomes incoherent. So I thought this would be the best uh, metric for that. And, um, you know, as we said, some of the competitors, Casper, uh, Lovesack, um, Sleep Number, Temper Sealy. I also threw in there for the valuation, like other furniture type stores, um, Ethan Allen, Lazy Boy, who make furniture type products uh, and, uh, you know, distribution options um so but basically what we did is just like did um you know the price to sales based on uh trailing 12 months uh, about 2020 estimates and 2021 estimates and um you know what's crazy is that um like purple's valuation is like two and a half times it's the competitor's average um, the average for the 12 months, like price to sales is about 1.1, 1. 1, uh, times multiple and purples is 2.65. Um, that is, I mean, a huge difference as far as, um, what apparently the market thinks that the company's worth. Um, and which I find like we, as we've discussed, I have a really hard time wrapping my brain around that given really in 
unknown ability to grow, an unknown uh, competitive landscape. Um, um, and moving forward, it, it's kind of the same. It's kind of more of the same. And for 2020, uh, based on estimates, you know, the average in that group uh, price to sales is 0.93 multiple versus purples 2.2 uh, times multiple. Um, so again, more than 100% difference. And, you know, granted, purple's profitable. Uh, they have good products. You know, I, I can attest to that. They, they do. However, you know, um, none of these companies have the same restrictions on their ability to grow, on their ability to grow internationally um, or to expand product, you know, differentiate their products from their competitors. Um, and that's really hard for, that's my perspective of that, that valuation of 2.65 trailing 12 months is really hard to wrap my brain around because their intellectual property is in so many of other of their competitors, maybe not well-known competitors, but competitors in the bed in a box, you know, industry. Um, you know, there was a study that came out, I think in August, uh, 2019, something like that. And at that time there was like, I want to say 165, 150 something, maybe bed in a box companies operating, you know, in the United States. And if, if, if their intellectual property is, is, is in a fraction of those, you know, what is the distinguishing factor? Why are we giving them this valuation, this premium valuation? Um, I guess that's something for investors to decide. Yeah. Well, the company can, you know, potentially, you know, clarify that with be more um, transparent what's going on and potentially unlock value. Maybe if we're, if our assumptions are incorrect, maybe there is a justification for a higher valuation because it's growing faster than a content profitable. I mean, to be fair too, we haven't looked at the business model closely at all or, or the accounting. So. And I think, you know, it, it could like, let's say all these contracts, all these licensing agreements, they all are wrapping up in 2021. Then yeah, I could, I could totally see that this, this 2.65 multiple or 2.2 going forward for 2000, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 2.2 for estimated 2020 uh, sales to price of sales. I think that could totally be reasonable if all these contracts, all these licensing agreements are wrapping up. And that's why the Pierce brothers got out because, you know, the, it's over. <laughs> right? They drained like, it. They drained it completely. <laughs> and, and, and they know what's coming. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, interesting. Hey, so um, uh, Tyler, anything you want to, I'm sure I didn't, I didn't bring you in earlier, but uh, yeah. So, First off, you know, I, you know, I think you guys put together a really great report. Um, you know, the, the business is pretty interesting. It's, you know, it's pretty amazing how strong of a marketing campaign they've put together, you know, writing this idea of the purple mattress, because I've gone ahead and went on to all their social media platforms are pretty much booming, revenues booming, I see them on TV a lot. But, you know, as an investor, right, and kind of what Jan, you know, pointed out right off the bat, as soon as you kind of open up these filings, there's flags, right? And, you know, when you are researching these companies, you know, knowing what the flags are, you know, who's the banker kind of, um, 
you know, uh, you know, how the company went public is kind of like the, you know, the one that stands out here. And, you know, as an investor, it's really, I think, important to kind of go back, backtrack, you know, the company's history and learn exactly what's going on here. And, you know, as we see in this, you know, this is a really awesome kind of case study where you see how important it is to, you know, do your homework, do your due diligence, because, you know, this is a little bit, you know, can you talk, can you trust this management team to kind of allocate your money because of these kind of back end business deals that are, you know, taking place? Um, it is concerning. And when you're talking about, you know, portfolio protection, you know, do you want to be holding this company or kind of even paying a little bit of a premium uh, to have this in your portfolio while there might be that bull, bull case upside? Um, it's more of, you know, can you sleep easy at night here? I'm not saying, I don't know if this is exactly, you know, a great short because we kind of are in those early growth stages, like Jan had pointed out, but, uh, you know, as an investor, you really got to weigh these risks and it, it is concerning. And, you know, I, I love the report. I thought it was a great report. Uh, you know, as far as maybe getting short, something like this, that does have a great product, has that kind of marketing, uh, you know, tail end where, you know, you have, you know, let's be real. There's a lot of investors out there that have money that are buying up these stocks, buying up, buying up, buying up these stocks. And, you know, where, where does it end? Well, maybe we do have that kind of growth slowing here, uh, you know, because of, you know, the situation that you guys are talking about, but it is a really awesome case study and you guys did a really great job, you know, kind of putting everything together. Thanks, Tyler. And I think you make a good point. This is really about time. And shorting is a lot. When you're not dealing with accounting fraud or, or even with accounting fraud, I should say, with just outright fraud where the business doesn't exist, for example, sometimes or, um, to eat anywhere near the magnitude that's being um, disclosed, it's really hard because you have to time it right. So in this situation, we're more looking at a, an unknown. Um, if, if the risk we're talking about is true, this you know, party maybe does end at some point in terms of the growth, rate of growth. And that's when the stock maybe gets dinged, um, if it does get dinged. Um, so timing that is really tough. And um, it's possible that some could, because as, as Michael, you talked about some of these licensing rates coming to an end soon, could that be the catalyst? And that'd be really, uh, you know, and it's maybe you know, an interesting bet to take at some point with options at some point as we get closer and closer. Um, but I don't know, it's just, it's just it's a tough call either way, but I think you make a good point, Tyler. You, I mean, even if you wanted to go along this, you really want to go along given some of these unknowns and it's a price we have to pay, you know, pay for some uncertainty sometimes. We just don't know here. And uh, I wouldn't be comfortable sleeping at night, not knowing the whole story there. I was a very important piece of the story. Even with a purple pillow? <laughs> well, I'm in, I might get that. I have a horrible neck. So I'm going to get that. I'm going to do a little Peter Lynch analysis and, you know, do the buy what you know thing. Uh, maybe I'll love it so much. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I never, never wake up. Maybe I love it so much. I'll never <laughs> find out. Um, but yeah, I, I just glad this is over because the, the whole, I, I remember having to like go on YouTube and type in purple and look all the commercials and every other commercial was a purple and another competitor, another competitor. It's amazing the competition out there and you had to go, you just, just all you got is plug it in YouTube and you'll see all the, how many competitors are out there buying for this market. 
uh, you know, and they're, you know, they're even talking about each other, the competitors. Yeah, you might got a purple, but ours is better and vice versa. Or you can keep your purple, you know, try ours too. And it's just, it's, it's a it's an interesting market. And, it, you know, and they've been able to raise a lot of money purple in the public markets. So, um, they have, you know, they have some ammo. Yeah. And so I, I guess, um, anything else before I end this guys, any more, any more, uh, any more comments or questions or. I, I just maybe have one, like, I think it's, you know, for people who are interested in the company or even our shareholders, you know, just like take good note of these kind of things with the contracts and with licensing bank agreements. I think it's like relatively straightforward analysis from here on out. Like if you read the report, you can understand what is happening and you can kind of keep um, keep an eye on it and actually understand, you know, whether this is going getting worse or getting better in a sense of like, okay, some of the stuff is expiring and so on and so forth. So um, I think it's like just one thing to point out and to keep in mind and just to track. It's like relatively easy, even though we don't know that much stuff about it. I think it's relatively straightforward to to um, keep um, keep on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. I think I think purpose is a great a great example of just reading filings, um, not being not trusting everything you hear in a conference call or a press release, taking the time to read footnotes, um, taking the time to you know, look at differences between filings. You know, you can either do it yourself by looking at files, or if you have, you know, Reuters, Centio, or, you know, Facts or any other program, a lot of, a lot of them will try and, and let you know through it, through it, through form, they'll highlight what are different in filings. So really, you know, don't, if you're going to be, if you're going to invest in stocks, you know, individual stocks, as part of your career, or even part-time, you know, don't, um, don't miss out on an opportunity to take wonderful public information in these filings to help you with your thesis and say, man, I should have found this. You know, I, you know, I, I wish I had known this existed. It was right there in front of my eyes. So, you know, like Peter Lynch said, it's all about turning over rocks, turn them over and keep looking. It might be boring, but it's worth it. And a lot of times these, what we're doing here turns into really great bull cases for us. We're finding information in these filings, especially in NanoCap, MicroCap world, where we hunt for our bull opportunities. And that's what we use it more for, actually. You know, personally, what I do, I'm looking for long ideas all the time. And, I, and every, any kind of short idea I stumbled upon usually came from the long research, you know, going through the thesis and, and then finding some information. Um, except we were doing China, which when we, were, when we were doing China shorts in 2010 to 15, we were looking for shorts after being long for a while. Um, so, yeah, this is a great, I think, a great lesson and a great case study and and, and how to how to go about some research and you guys did a great job man flushing this out um Jan and michael really i really want to commend you for your work here and did it pretty quickly too you guys are doing you're going to be a great team and um i just hope that we can just you know um keep using this as a lesson to move forward and finally we have some more i think queued up and it's going to be exciting uh, doing this again and i like this point because we're not we're not saying go short this is really you know professional and not rah-rah on anything here and i really feel something I want to do for a long time. I'm glad, I'm glad you guys are part of it. So, and um, so it, I will end it in terms of, before I let you guys say goodbye, so, sorry, on, um, that we ended this, and I, I like what, what you guys did here. You ended this conclusion by basically asking shareholders to ask some questions. And I'm gonna read off these questions. So we conclude it like this. You know, why did Purple choose to license back to Eddie's own the intellectual property it was assigned? 
How has the license back agreement benefited Purple and or its shareholders, excluding Pierce Brothers and Mr. McGarvey, one of the players in the story? To how many Purple competitors, both internationally and the U.S., does Eddie Zone currently license Purple's intellectual property? What is the total revenue from royalties Eddie Zone generated from Purple's assets since the company went public? When do the Eddie Zones, when do Eddie Zones contracts with competitors of Purple end? And what are all the geographic regions uh, where Purple is prohibited from selling its existing products? Responsible questions that we came up with that if you're a shareholder, probably you might want to ask the company in the next conference call or, or, or send them a letter. Um, and or, or just, it's always good to end, end this analysis with questions sometimes. So great guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for everyone's time and I enjoyed the conversation. I hope to do it uh, soon again. Thanks. Yeah. Maj, thanks for the uh, invite. Um, Jan and Michael, you guys did a great job on the report. Um, and I, you know, this is a sweet idea, cool little podcast of uh, portfolio protection. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys, everybody. Thank you, Robert, for having us. Of course. If I can finally put in my two cents, my wife and I bought our mattress from Walmart. All right. And it's the best friggin' mattress I've ever had in my life. Okay. <laughs> so if that's any indication. No, no, and, if it's and from not, Walmart, it may be licensed from, from purple. <laughs> well, you're still, you're still, you're still young. <laughs> so. Dude, this, I'm telling you right now, this mattress is amazing. It's, it's the best. Like we ordered, I think we were looking at Casper and, and a few other ones. And like, we got the one from, we went to a friend's house and we, we tried, we sat on the mattress and everything. We we're like this. And he was like, guess where I got this from? We're like, no, where'd you get it? Walmart. So I don't know. I'm just saying it was an amazing, it, it, you know, we still got it, you know what I'm saying? But hey, I'm not a shareholder in Walmart or purple, but uh, I'm long Walmart mattresses. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, there's, there's an investment you're making yourself. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, thank Maj, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, dude. Well, um, you want to you want to take it home? You want me to take it home, Maj? What do you think? Yeah, take it home, Bobby. All right, we're landing the plane again. Uh, avoiding the crowd with Maj Sway Don. You can find this podcast wherever you get podcasts or listen to them. Uh, you can also watch this interview or watch this panel uh, or episode or, or series or, you know, the series, I guess we're calling this, uh, on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash SNNWire. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Craft. It's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You can follow Maj on Twitter at Maj Geoinvesting or at Geoinvesting. Um, anybody else have Twitter accounts? Come on, let's plug away. Let's go. You got Twitter accounts? Jan, I know you're on Twitter. Sure, 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 sure. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just my name, so you should be able to easily find me. And uh, yeah, I kind of have an odd tweet schedule between OTC and some frauds or something like that. So yeah, if you're interested in long OTC and short selling, then for, certainly give me a follow. Be very much appreciated. Also, I have a new OTC product, which I would love to talk about at some point as well. So um, definitely check it out. We'll get you back on for that. Michael, Tyler, you guys got social media accounts or Twitter accounts? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Michael is short Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's not actually short Twitter. 
But um, so I do have a uh, Twitter account. It's at Augury Research, A-U-G-U-R-Y Research. Uh, I don't really tweet too, too much, but you know, I might throw out a couple of uh, short ideas uh, on Twitter every once in a while. There we go. All right. Well, I think, I think we're there. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining us on this series. I'm sure we'll see you all back on here uh, again very soon. And thank you, Maj. Thanks, guys. Thanks again. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.